0: Well, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 7 as we continue our series in Matthew's gospel. We've spent many months in the Sermon on the Mount, and this verse that we are looking at this morning, Jesus is coming to a close on his sermon, and we'll finish up that sermon in in a couple of weeks. When we finish that sermon in our next teaching, I want to make sure that this particular sermon is one that stays with us for a long, long time. Now, there are four other sermons, four more sermons in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus gives, but this is the one that we began with. And I know as a as a Christian over now for 45 years, I was calculating how many sermons I have listened to in the past 45 years. And it, it's, it's in the thousands. And I know many times I've taken notes. Those notes go in a notebook or somehow those notes have ended up in a file or maybe a box. And as I look back, I think, you know, I, I remember certain points at certain moments from different sermons. I've heard Amazing gifted preachers from John Stott to R C Sproul to John Piper CJ Mahaney and, and you can go on the older I am, obviously I've listened to I've listened to messages online by D. Martin Lloyd Jones. I have and, and I've learned a lot in these sermons. This sermon stands above them all. And I don't want us to walk away from the Sermon on the Mount and have it end up notes in a file or in a box um, or in a trash can. This, this is a sermon um, given to us by the perfect Son of God. I'm, I'm standing here, and I am fallible. I am imperfect in many ways, and this sermon this morning, I, I trust, will serve you well, but it is not on the level of the one, the body of what our Savior has given us. And so, so when, you, when we leave this sermon in a couple of weeks, when we finish the Sermon on the Mount, may it be a regular part of your devotions, your reading, your prayer time. Don't, don't leave this sermon. It encompasses life in the kingdom of God of God. Now, over the past months that we've learned about the Sermon on the Mount, we've learned that this sermon is not about moral behavior or or just being a, a good person, but it is Jesus teaching us what happens when the kingdom of God invades our hearts as individuals and as a community of God's people. It transforms us and it defines who, who belongs to the kingdom and who does not. And if you are, you are not in the kingdom of God, you're, you're not sure you're in the kingdom of God, let these words speak to you today as you look to Christ. Now, there are two main themes in this Sermon on the Mount. And those main themes are our our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And they are two themes that intersect repeatedly in this sermon. This sermon teaches us about life in the kingdom, and what it means to be in a relationship with God, that that we are poor in spirit, that we we mourn for our sin, that we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, that we are to be pure in heart, and that we are to love our enemies. We are to be willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, and we are to have our righteousness exceed that of the religious, the scribes and the Pharisees, and that we have a Father in heaven who calls us sons and daughters. And we are not to practice our righteousness before others, whether it's giving or, or praying or fasting, but we are to pray to our Heavenly Father who, who is our treasure and to lay up our treasures in heaven. And we are to forgive as we read in the Lord's Prayer, as we forgive those who, who've sinned against us and as God has forgiven us. And we are not to be anxious for anything, Because our Heavenly Father knows what we need. And all of these are anchored in our relationship with God. And that's what Jesus has taught us in this sermon. But he has also taught us about life in the kingdom and what it means to live with each other. Intertwined in this sermon about God and his kingdom is how we are to to interact. And there are many commands that tell us how we are to live with each other. We are to be meek. We are to be humble. We are to be merciful. We are to be peacemakers. We are to not be angry with one another. We are to be reconciled to one another. We are not to retaliate towards one another. We are not to... Covet, we're not to divorce, not to separate what God has joined together, we're not to swear falsely or judge one another sinfully. So these two great themes have, have just overridden our understanding of the Sermon on the Mount. And now, This morning we come to this last command in his sermon before Jesus will close with four very sobering warnings that we will look at in a few weeks. Look at chapter 7 and look at verse 12. Jesus says, so. Other versions would say, therefore, looking back to what was previously said, so. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Father, we thank you for this sermon, these authoritative, inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient words from your Son that are given to us for our good, that are given to us for our transformation, that we might be like Christ, that we might live like Christ, that we might be readied for the kingdom of God in heaven. Thank you for these words. May they live in our hearts. May we treasure them above all else, because we are treasuring you when we do that. And speak to us this morning through this passage so that your name would be lifted up, your name would be glorified. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we've come to this last command, and before Jesus closes, he, he gives us this command, which in reality is, is application. It's, it's application for the sermon. At the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus exhorts his disciples with, with a command, judge not, judge not that you not be judged. And then he goes on to explain what sinful judging looks like and what and how we should first humbly address our own sins before we seek to care for someone else. It would seem natural, as I read this, and I'm sure as you have read this, it would seem natural that, that 7.12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, would, would follow directly after seven six after the, the passage on judging not. But Jesus doesn't do that. He, he waits. And even though it is a perfect application to 7, 1 through 6, instead, before he gets to the application... He does what is most important to him. He addresses our relationship with our Heavenly Father because this relationship, our relationship with God, impacts every other relationship we have. The relationships we have in our homes, the relationships we have with our friends, the relationships we have in this church, the relationships we have in the world. And Jesus puts our need for God at the center of our relationship with others so that we can live with one another as he requires. The, S- the Sermon on the Mount, if, you, if you've if you been reading it, studying it, and as you've listened to it these past months, the Sermon on the Mount exposes who we truly are. It reveals who we are in our hearts, and it reveals our need for a Savior. But it also reveals how how blessed we are to have a Heavenly Father who has sent His only Son to be our Savior, and who promises to meet our needs, as we read last week, by answering our prayers for help that we might live this sermon as God has required us. And in light of all that He requires in this sermon— and how impossible it is to us to fulfill his kingdom demands through our own efforts, he assures us that our Heavenly Father accomplishes what is impossible for us when we pray. And that's why this section on prayer. Ask him. That is what leads into our passage today, to ask and to seek and to knock so that we can live this, what is known as the golden rule, what what this verse requires of us, that whatever we wish that others would do to us, do also to them, for that is the law and the prophets. So he tells us to ask, and he tells us to seek, and he tells us to knock, for that is the most important thing in our lives, which is gaining a knowledge of the Father, that we might find grace and strength to love him and to honor him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, and and to love others as ourselves which is what is behind this verse and so he commands us to pray so that we can live the sermon on the mount and he promises to give us what we need through the holy spirit as we read in luke 11 of this same passage on asking seeking and knocking that we might have a spirit life giving grace so that this sermon will become real in each of our lives God's grace makes God's commands possible. And so, 712, a final command that really summarizes the entire sermon. And, and we're going to actually start in part B of this verse, for this is the law and the prophets. And that is that is the first point, the fulfillment of Jesus' sermon. When Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, as we read in chapter 5, verse 17, it wasn't, it wasn't to bring some greater legalistic approach to the people of God, which is exactly what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. He came to empower us, his followers. He came to empower his disciples by showing them grace, a, a grace in God's law. We don't often think of law and grace connected together we often think of law and grace in opposition to each other but the law of god is the grace of god it's rooted in the gospel it's rooted in gospel grace in exodus 20 we we studied through the book of exodus and when we came to the 10 commandments the decalogue in exodus 21 and 2 before god gives the commandments this is what he says And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then after telling them, the Israelites, what he has done for them, he gives the law. He says, grace came and delivered you. Grace came and ransomed you. Grace came and set you free. And so now in that grace, this is how you are to live. God didn't say to Israel, do this. And do that. And then gives them these Ten Commandments. But he begins with, I have done this for you. So now, here is the law rooted in my grace. And in view of the grace that I have demonstrated to you, on your behalf, live out this life of redemption that you have been given. Which is exactly what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And when he says, here... Do what I have told, do whatever you wish to, that others would do to you. Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He is saying, this is where grace is found. This is where the gospel is seen. The same gospel pattern is right here in 712, and it is central to our entire sermon. The sermon isn't a law meant to weigh us down, but it's about the grace of God given to us in Christ. And this is why this verse is not some just detached piece of moral advice. You want to have a good life? Just do the good things to others so they'll do them back to you. Now, this this command, this imperative, this application is tied directly to our relationship with God where we can ask and we can seek and we can knock. And God will give us the Holy Spirit to live the life, the spirit of grace who has transformed us by grace. That is why this verse isn't just some piece of moral advice. It's an expression of saving grace. We could we can never fulfill this command in 7.12 to do to others what we wish they would do to them, to fulfill the law and the prophets without grace, without first becoming new creation in Christ, which is exactly what the work of the Spirit has done in us. We can never love our neighbor as ourselves without first loving God. And that's what the Spirit has done in you and me. He's transformed my heart. He transforms your heart. And yeah, you you do have struggles with friends or family members. There are relational breakdowns. You can sometimes struggle in your relationship with the Lord. But he has told us he is our father. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is always with us. And all we need to do is humbly come to him to ask and to seek and to knock. And oh, what good gifts he gives. Far better than anything your parents ever gave you or your parents that you asked young kids, you asked for your, from your parents now. No, no, God, God goes far, far beyond Listen, we could never have loved unless He loved us first. And that's what He has done. So here in 7.12, the last five commandments are actually being fulfilled. If you remember the last five commandments, do not steal. Do not covet. Honor your mother and father. Do not commit adultery. Do not... Bear false witness. Think about all those do nots. But here in 712, we we see the, the positive side. You know, don't steal, but give. In other words, give as you would desire others to give to you. Do not lie, but speak the truth in love. Honor your father and mother. The golden rule here is cast in a positive light. Confucius said this in his definition of the golden rule. Do not do to others what you would not wish done to you. One of the great teachers in Israel, Rabbi Hillel, said this. Do not do to anyone what you yourself hate. And in our day the cultural golden rule would be more do to others before they do it to you but jesus makes a radical departure from the negative approach to a positive one that requires far more than just being nice or doing not doing harm to others but treating others as we want to be treated even when they don't deserve it which is our experience in christ Treating others the way you would want to be treated. I, I, I find it's far, it, it, it's harder to give mercy than to desire mercy. It, Marilyn and I have a conflict, and, and I, I'm pointing out something where I think it's an area of sin or just something um, I'm not thinking often quickly of mercy. But when she's pointing out stuff in me, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Mercy. Where's, where's your heart of God? Where's your loving me as you love yourself? No, no. And this this passage, this is what, what Jesus is saying. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, Do also to them. In other words, treat them the way you would want to be treated. And it's known as the golden rule, which, again, not unfamiliar. Now, Matthew Henry, in his commentary, said this. Christ came to teach us not only what we are to know and believe, but what we are to do. Not only towards God, but towards others. And not only towards fellow Christians, but towards those in general, all with whom we have to do. And so that, that, that is the fulfillment of the law. That is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That it is rooted in grace, that we are extending grace, that we are fulfilling this law by treating others as we would want to be treated the second point, part of this, the application to the sermon, 712, part A. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Jesus tells them that living this way does fulfill the law and prophets. And remember, back in 517, he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so now he tells his disciples, look, obeying this command is is." in essence, what it means to fulfill that law. This is the law that God gave, and this is the lifestyle. Note that word lifestyle. This is the lifestyle to which the prophets called the people of God to. This, this passage does not stand alone. It is interpreted and defined by other passages that expands our understanding of what Jesus is saying here. In Deuteronomy 6... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Leviticus nineteen eighteen. You shall not take vengeance. I love this part. You shall not take vengeance. Okay, nobody, I mean, it's rare here that anybody would take vengeance. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I heard somebody once say, that person tends their grudge like they do a garden. Jesus is telling us just the opposite. Later in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Jesus is asked, Lord, which is, which is the greatest commandment? And he responds, you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's what's standing behind 7.12. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, foundational to our relationship that we have with each other is our relationship with God. And that we are to do to others what we would want others to do to us. How challenging that is. Pardon the wind. Let me give two points of clarification because this passage in Matthew 22, love your neighbor as yourself, rooted in first loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Two two points of clarification about particularly the second part of Matthew 22, love your neighbor as yourself. And, 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 and this passage, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. First, we do not do to others what we wish they would do to us so that they will do to us what we want. That, that motivation is simply selfish. What Jesus is saying is the way you want to be treated in whatever circumstances you are in, you are facing, whether it's suffering, struggling with sin, going through a trial, grieving, discouraged, weary, is the way you should treat others because that's the way Jesus has always treated you. Psalm 103.10, the Lord does not treat us as our sins deserve. How do you want to be treated when you've sinned, you've made a mistake, you've done something wrong? How do you want to be treated by those around you, particularly those that you have offended or sinned against? How do you want to be treated by them? Well, you want to be treated by them the way God treats them, and you. The Lord does not treat us as our sins deserve. Do we treat others as we think their sins deserve Conflict with our spouse, offended by a friend, children who don't obey, or do we imitate Christ? Are we merciful and are we forgiving? Martin Lloyd-Jones says, God never deals with us according to our sins. That is not his method. That is what our Lord is saying in the previous verses. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That is the argument. God does not give us what we deserve. God gives us good things in spite of being what we are. He does not merely look at us as we are. Were he to do so, we would all be condemned forever. But he is interested in us in spite of these externals. He sees us as a loving Father. He looks upon us in His grace and mercy. So He does not deal with us merely as we are. He deals with us in grace. That is the fulfillment of 712. How we treat others should never be determined by how we expect them to treat us or by how we think they should treat us. But simply, we treat them the way we would like to be treated. Now that's the first clarification of this the second is ha, Matthew 22 the the full interpretation of this verse is not teaching where Matthew says in 20 or Jesus says in 22 Matthew 22 love your neighbor as yourself which is standing behind 712 how we love one another but Jesus is not teaching that we need to learn how to love ourselves more when Jesus says "Love your neighbor as yourself he 's well aware of how self loving we already are in second Timothy three one through five Paul makes it clear that we do not need to love ourselves more he says this in the last days there will be there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self lovers of money proud arrogant lovers of pleasure having the appearance of godliness but denying its Power. That kind of love, brothers and sisters, is idolatry. Rather, the Greek word for love in Matthew 22 is the word agape or agape, depending on where you're from. A self, It's a self-denying love, an unconditional love that empties itself for the good of another. That is what Jesus means in 7.12 when he says, So whatever that you wish others would do to you, do also to them. That's agape love. It's unconditional self denying, emptying love for others. That's the kind of love Christ displayed on the cross for us. Paul made it clear in Ephesians 5.21 that we, just, we do well at loving ourselves. He says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. You do. You take care of your flesh. That's why you're sitting under canopies why you're wearing shorts. We're taking care of our bodies. It's why you're going to eat when you get home today. It's why some of you go to the pool to get cool. You take care of yourselves. We have no trouble loving ourselves. And so let us not think of love one another and love Others, as you love yourself, as though we need to love ourselves more. No, just the opposite. So what enables us to meet this demand? What enables us to not love ourselves more? Well, it's our relationship with Christ. It begins with Christ. It begins with the gospel of what God has done for us and how he has loved us. Devin read from Romans 5. Romans 5.5. 5, we love. Because he first loved us, that 's what enables us to whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, and the the, the pinnacle, the climax of that fulfillment was his death on the cross and his resurrection. we love. Because he first loved us. And brothers and sisters, what what keeps a church united, what keeps us together, is this. Is 7.12. Is Matthew 22. It's Leviticus 18. It's Deuteronomy 6. It's... It's what Christ has done for us. That's what keeps Christ, this, this church united. That's what keeps us together. Otherwise, we would, we would be living for ourselves. He gives us the grace to do that. It's a grace that enables us to love each other, to do to others what we would desire them to do to us, and a grace that comes from loving a heavenly Father who gives good gifts to To his children. And what greater gift has God given us and to prove his love than his son, Jesus Christ? And what greater promise has God fulfilled than his promise to give us the Holy Spirit, which he has done? So, why do we love? Why do we do to others what we desire them to do to us? Why is because because it glorifies God because it it proves as we have read in the Sermon on the Mount it proves the genuineness of our faith and it shows the world who God is john thirteen thirty five by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another Father, thank you for Loving us in such a manner that your love has been shed abroad in our hearts that we can love each other, that the world might know and bring glory to your name. And Lord, we we ask that you would you would sink this truth deep into our hearts and our minds. Help us to, to be faithful to these words that your Son has spoken to us. And Holy Spirit, we ask, we ask that you would come. We ask that you would come and you would bring light to these words to each of us for, for the glory of God the Father.